Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, having a quick announcement. This is day two that we're going live at gdux.me. Again, go to gdux.me and start tuning in live for day two of gdux.me 2019 part it's french yeah so my name is des gale and i'm a founder producer of all the team uh at micro studio um it's based in the uk but we're all remote so um uh you know i had a couple of friends who sort of really used to work together but then we scattered around the globe so it's like well great no problem we can still keep going um so I've been in the game since 1998. Um, I'm older than I look. Uh, and uh, the last 10 of those have been as a producer. Um, I've won uh, two developer awards, uh, the BAFTA award, um, and they were both for uh, Life is Strange with, with Square Enix and Don't Nod. Uh, I'm the vice chair of a charity called Games Aid, where we uh, were an umbrella charity and we collect donations over the course of a year. And then our members vote for which charities should get the money. And then it's roughly the top eight or nine charities that get the vote, the most votes. Uh, we can split the money equally um, towards them. Uh, we've, I think we're close to about 5 million in donations now over the last 13 odd years. So, yeah, doing all right. Um, I'm board member for the UK trade body for video games. Um, and I'm a founding member of uh, Pocket Play, which is uh, a racial equity and inclusion group um, for videos. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll talk about today. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of a retrospective um, from my journey from professional land into uh, independent development. Um, and in terms of takeaways, I mean, I, I just think uh, hopefully through sharing some of the pain points that I've had uh, over my career, I can kind of like help some of some of some of you guys out there. Uh, so, um, yeah, I started a long time ago uh, at Lego Media, um, and what we were, we were kind of like the digital arm of Lego, the traditional toy company. Uh, awesome first job to have. I started as a QA tester, but um, unfortunately, testing and me didn't really go hand in hand. Um, luckily, my boss recognized this and he was like, hey, do you want to try some uh, some encryption stuff? And I was just like, yeah, sure, why not? So, um, yeah, I spent the next two years just doing some command line encryption tools, um, which kind of helped our game stop getting cracked on, on PC. I mean, you know, you can measure the time in, in days rather than weeks, but those initial days, was, you know, it was enough to save um, the money we made during those days not being cracked was was enough to keep the business going for a while. Um, but uh, Lego, you know, they're a family-run business and they, they, they know toys and they're a little bit ahead of their time. Um, you know, they knew the world was moving into the digital space, but they just wasn't, they weren't prepared to go, uh, you know, all in. So 
we had some creative differences. So for the first couple of games, like Legoland and Lego Racers, you know, they were awesome, but they were still limited because with our character design, um, they had to move like minifigs, which meant they only moved in two axes. And we were just like, okay, well, um, you know, PS1 is 3D. It's got some nice graphics for that time. Um, we we need to be doing higher fidelity animations. Um, yeah, so like, no. Um, and then it just cascaded from there. So the games, like our competitors are releasing, you know, higher quality games, higher fidelity games. And uh, Lego were just like, oh, you know what? We're out. Like, we're not doing uh, games anymore. So imagine my surprise, you know, fast forward 10 years, we see all the TT games uh, with their amazing animations. It's just like, that's what we wanted to do. Um, but hey, you know, you, you, you live and learn. Um, so yeah, they shut down the business unit and uh, that was redundancy number one. Um, I made a brief stop at Xbox after this and I uh, helped launch the original Xbox, which was cool. Um, and uh, it was really... <laughs> It was really tough back then um, doing submissions because uh, we had to uh, process everything on uh, big fat DAT tapes, um, two of them, and um, to process the submissions like took you know took a long time. Um, it looked quite a bit better than uh, the old uh, CDs we used to burn for for PlayStation, but you know time consuming also. Um, but yeah, I was only there briefly, I was only there for a month because uh, I actually got headhunted by yay um which initially was awesome um like i back in the day i played madden and fifa like that is all i played so when um you know the same company came after me i was just like yeah i've been um i went for an interview they had their fancy sort of like glass building with a nice lake in front and you know a couple of swans and stuff I wasn't even listening to what my uh, future boss was saying. I was like, I'd already made up my mind. Um, sadly, when I did actually start working there, we were in the building over the road. Um, they'd read like one floor from uh, from Samsung. So uh, only get to go to a nice building for lunch. But uh, but hey. Um, but yeah, the first couple of years were amazing. Uh, you know, we, we, we'd done really good work over there. Um, and it, we were the first business unit in Europe to um, make a billion. And, uh, you know, it was a massive celebration. We all went to Euro Disney and it got out of hand. And, um, yeah, long story short, uh, we're not allowed back there um, as a company. Um, but, yeah, but sadly, uh, so into year four, um, I, uh, there was a, a new person arrived uh, that had an issue with me, which turned out to be uh, racial in the end. Um and it's weird. I mean, like, I mean, you know, growing up in England, it, I've had my fair share of troubles anyway. But uh, I, I, so you develop a thick skin. So I, I wasn't really paying attention to it. And it was only when a colleague said to me, he's like, hey, like that's, um, you know, he's, he's acting out of line. Like you need you need to report this. Um, so I did. And uh, obviously it didn't end very well. Uh, HR did a very bad job at supporting me. And um at that point, I'd made up my mind to leave, but I hadn't actually left yet. Um, but I got an opportunity a year later. So basically, they're moving our, our business unit to Spain. And uh, I just wrapped up five years there. So I I, I did the sort of numbers in my head. And I was like, OK, I'll take volunteer redundancy um, and leave. And uh, you know, they were like, why? It's just like, well, it, you know, it wasn't the same company it was when I started. So um, 
and five years is a good time. It's a good stretch. Um, you know, I, my dad and his infinite wisdom, you know, loyalty only goes one way, and that's from the employee to the company, not the other way around. Um, irrespective of what happened at EA, it would have been something else that uh, I would have been on the wrong end of, um, you know, given the previous discussion about crunch and how companies, uh, you know, manage resources, right? You know, they've all got a spreadsheet, and if the number at the bottom doesn't match, then the business unit disappears. So, um, yeah, I wasn't dumbstruck by loyalty, so it allowed me to move on, which was which was pretty cool. Um, so after that, uh, if I actually know, there's one more thing I would say, actually. Um, so there's another saying, uh, you, you shouldn't find out how the sausage is made, and uh, EA opened my eyes. Like, they, they are a fantastic business, and they taught me so much about the business, and, like, it, on one hand, was it was fascinating. On the other hand, it just, as a fan and as a as a kid, it just broke my heart. Like it just, I, I won't get details here, but you know, there's the economics of making games and you know what we charge people and, and versus what the investment was. It's just, yeah, mind-boggling. But um, yeah, it's good. I mean, I still got lessons that I learned there that I still use today. Um. So yeah, after that, uh, I went to a small company called Exient uh, over in Oxford, and uh, funnily enough, still working on EA games. So we uh, did every EA Sports title on um, uh, DS or PSP, uh, you know, back in the late the late two thousands, which was which was very cool. Um, but uh, this is where my second redundancy happened. Um, I actually survived one round there already, but then. Um, is this was when I started to realize that the middle tier was slowly starting to disappear. So, you know, the publishers had realized, like, well, why are we paying um, these mid-tier teams when we can have them and build them in-house and so, you know, they can work on all our games rather than just one game or just a part of a franchise. Um, so, yeah, I missed, I missed uh, the first round, but the second round I, I couldn't, couldn't escape. Um, and it was it was fine. So at Exeunt, that was my first producer job. So that's when I learned more about the economics of projects and running companies. And um, you know, sad to say, like you know, when you you know, if you're making a case company right, you need three things: you need art, you need code, you need design. They're the, they're the three skill positions you need. Um, I mean, over time, as I've grown, obviously I'm a producer, so I say, well, you need four things. Uh, you know, ad production and, and business support in there as well. But um, yeah, QA production, they're, they're the first ones that are going to get chopped. Um, and after that, you'll, you know, you'll start picking off your weaker uh, members of the skill positions. Um, yeah, so after that, I ended up uh, over in Barcelona working for a company called Digital Legends. Uh, this is pretty cool. We're working some games for, um, for Adidas. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't my best work, but um, they, they were uh, they were making on their own version of the Nike Plus, and they wanted uh, a game that read data from the the dongle, and it affected your in-game avatar and made you stronger. Blah blah. blah. Um, it was just a vehicle to sell merchandise because you know they're a sportswear and uh, shoe company, and that's what they wanted. Uh, great idea. Execution was interesting, but. Um, that was my first lesson um, of, you know, never work on uh, launch hardware because it won't be ready. 
and uh, never work on prototype uh, hardware because it definitely isn't ready. Um, so yeah, I was there for about six months, and then I was like, okay, this is enough. Uh, we shipped the games. Didn't really have much interest in what was going on next, and I did actually. I went to come home, um, so I ended up uh, at Climax, uh, which is a studio down in Portsmouth, um, and this was really cool. We were working on a, a Legacy of Kane reboot uh, for Square Enix. Um, it was ambitious. Um, the and what we're we talking, what we're looking at, we're looking at yeah, 360 PS3. Um, and he had a game, just if the game was too big for the consoles, um, it, it, it should have been a, a you know, PS4 and Xbox One title. But um, long story short, we couldn't hit the quality that, that Square wanted. So um, they canned the project. And um, yeah, that's redundancy, official redundancy number two. Uh, I don't count uh, the EA one because I left. Um, so that's. Uh, left me to go abroad again, back to the continent, and this time I ended up in Germany, uh, working for Crytek. I was uh, the project manager for the R&D department, which was super cool. Um, oh man, some of the smartest, smartest people on the planet were there. I was regularly the dumbest guy in the room. Um, I was always making notes and going to Google afterwards just to work out like what these people were saying. Um, but yeah, like really ambitious company, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with their work. Um, and, you know, you only have seen the stuff that they haven't even shipped. So it's just crazy. They're always trying to go ahead of the, ahead of the curve too far sometimes. But, you know, if, if no one takes risks, then, uh, you know, there's not massive rewards. Um, but yeah, this is where my run of bad luck continued. Uh, they decided to merge my department with another department that already had a product manager. And they were just like, well, last one in, first one out, so off you go. So, redundancy number three, uh, came back home, back again, and I was just like, you know what, fuck it. I, I just, I, it's enough. I, I, You know, I've got a family to feed, um, and this instability is, is just doing my head in. So I jumped out into Techland and worked for a mobile phone startup, and uh, we were making... Um, uh, uh, entry-level uh, Android devices for, for Asian markets. And um, yeah, it was all right. The premise was good. Um, you know, hardware was good. We had we had a big hitting team. Um, you know, you had me from the sort of like software technology front. Uh, we had a guy from uh, X, uh, Nokia uh, doing the hardware stuff. Uh, a guy from Sony doing the marketing. It, it was, there were some big hitters in the team. It was awesome. Uh, however, two months before launch, um, yeah, this company, uh, uh, Nokia, you might have heard of them, um, released their own low-end device in our core market of Indonesia. And, of course, uh, all of our conversations with, uh, um, uh, um, what they call mobile carriers and uh, stores just dried up. So that killed that one, and the company died. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I took a couple of months off, had some money saved up, so I you know, spent some time with the kids, which was awesome. But then uh, I got a phone call from Square Enix. Hey, uh, we're working on something new. Do you want to come and help us out? I was like, sure. You know, you know, I, I, in my six months away, I realized I love video games. Um, and, you know, apart from my six-month high, it's just all I've done. And uh, I really did love it. So I was like, yeah, I'll come back. Um, funny thing, I went in for the interview and... Uh, the two guys I was seeing were the two guys that were responsible for canning the game when I was at Climax. 
so that was funny. Um, you know, we had a good five minute sort of laugh about that. Um, I mean, they're good guys. You know, it just it was just business. Um, but yeah, luckily, you know, that game t- turned out to be life is strange, which was uh, yeah, challenging game to work on. Um, but you know, we we shipped it in the end, and uh, you know, really proud of the product. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a franchise now, so that's a testament to how how good the game was and you know the hard work we did. Um, and then, uh, so after that finished, I had a brief stint on uh, Just Cause Three, and then uh, I moved over to Screenish Collective. Um, I call it the dark side, because the publishing side. Uh, and what we were doing, uh, basically, we we had a pot from Big Square Enix, and they were like, okay, here's the money, um, invest some games, it'd be nice to see some change, um, you know, have fun, find some good people. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was a good, was, you know, I think I was there for about a year and a half, and uh, I was working on about nine games concurrently. Um, I don't recommend doing that. Um but luckily, our portfolio was kind of, it had a good spread. So, you know, we had a couple of teams that definitely didn't need any producing, production help from me, uh, about three teams that did need a lot of help from me, and then the, the middle ground where I could literally just, you know, touch base and do stand-ups and stuff, and they'll be, they'll be okay. Um, I think all the games are out now. But, um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, so, yeah, my contract ended there sort of like mid-2017. And by that point, I was just like, okay, cool. So I... I I think I've got the tools now. You know, I've worked on internal development. I've worked on external development. Uh, I've worked for a publisher. You know, I've worked for a big brand who didn't know what was going on. And I've worked for many brands that did know what was going on. So I, I felt comfortable and I felt ready to, to branch out on my own and start doing stuff. Um, I thought with Gene. Um, yeah, so initially it started quite well. So... You know, as I mentioned, I mean, production, you know, for the, in, the, in the context of making a game, don't really have much talent. So I tried to learn coding for a bit and um, I made a couple of apps, like non-games, just to kind of just get my mind around it. Um, and then I did have a foray into games, but I'm not quite sure what's wrong. I, 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 I It just doesn't jive with me. So I knew I had to start building... Uh, a team around me that could help um, because I already knew from the publishing side that you know you could no one funds ideas um, unless your name's Hideo Kojima um, or to a lesser extent Mike Biffle or Sad Barlow um, yeah no one funds ideas uh, so you need you need a prototype and you need people to build those so uh, what I did was I freelance as a producer and my income I got from that I used to put into making games and prototypes which was fun. Um, so we released our first game, uh, Hyperstella, on mobile uh, three years ago now. Um, and that game, it was it was an eye-opener for me. I, I, it just exposed me to the, the brutal realities of free-to-play mobile. So the problem we had was a combination of um, ignorance and innocence. So um, we didn't want to, especially back then, we didn't want to use traditional methods of of making money from people. We would say, hey, you know, enjoy the game. Um, you know, it's a, re- it's a nice chunk of the game. And if you want any more lives, you can watch a video. It'd be cool. And if you want to buy any more spaceships, you can use an in-game currency. So we had the loops working. 
Lakers weren't aggressive enough. Um, and then we didn't um, we didn't have really a K factor, so there was no way to kind of have fans of the game get other people into the game. Um, that was a massive mistake uh, on my part. And um, I did the cardinal sin of making a late change, um, like late in production. Um, yeah, there was a new kind of monetization tool um, where it would aggregate, no, aggregate's the wrong word, but basically it would um, analyze the prices on Android uh, in different countries and suggest different prices based on that rather than just a blanket price across the board. Um, I mean, something I realized that we had to do, like I knew it because we did it on our PC games back at Square. Um, you know, they're not all the same price, it's okay, territory. Um, and that's kind of, that experience kind of jaded my view. Like, so as a producer, I should be like, nope, it's too late, we ship as it is, and then we can do stuff in an update. But because I had that prior knowledge, that was just eating at me too much. Um, so yeah, we, we slipped our, our, our release date, messed up all our press, um, it was bad. And we have not made our money back by a long stretch. Um, so after that, we were just like, okay, mobile, we, we chose mobile because it's small, because it's easy. Um, but our the, the team members, you know, our skill set is PC console. So we're like, okay, let's, let's go back over here. Let's start working on prototypes for this. Um, but then um, the money started to dry up. So each of us had to start to get contracts everywhere else, and then all the team became part-time. Um, but the problem with part-time is part-time equals slow. Um, so when you kind of speak to publishers and you're like, hey, we've got this thing, um, this is the idea, this is the rough sort of like grey box prototype, they're like, yeah, sounds interesting, but, you know, come back to us when you've got sort of like more, some more representative art. Now, um, in my circles of, of, of uh, contacts, you know, um, I'm very programmer heavy. So, you know, programming is quite cheap for me, but art isn't. Um, especially these days where, you know, you need to be, you need that differentiator, right? Like I think, this is not to, to um, be disrespectful to any programmers, but, you know, there's a level of competence, right? Where you can, you can make a game and these days where you, where it's striking in for, for in the market to catch people's eye, it's the art that does it, the tech behind it, to a certain extent, um, you know, is it what drives it? And then if you think about um, aesthetics, right? So Journey, um, uh, Cuphead, uh, even even um, Biffle Games is new um, John Wick Hex, like you know, it's got an aesthetic to it, right? So, you know. Everyone could be like, see a screenshot, like, oh, that's that game. Um, uh, and yeah, and you know, coupled with people saying, oh, you know, that's a unique game, or that's an unreal game. It, 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 there's there's traits um, that are common in most games, and it's these ones that we, we need to stand out. Um, so sorry, that's really long winded way of saying uh, of me of saying, um, yeah, things go slow, but we are working on a new game now, which uh, we're quite happy with. Uh, we should sort of like be more open about that towards the end of the year. Um, what did I want to... So, yeah. Um, I guess now, I guess what this is kind of like the tip section um, that I wanted to get on with. Um, just kind of these are the, the, the proper proper pain points uh, that I had when I was starting up. 
And uh, I spoke to a couple of my indie friends, and they're just like, "Yeah, they, these, you know, we have similar problems we had." So, um, yeah, basically. So uh, you need an accountant, full stop. Uh, I would speak to friends, get recommendations, uh, and start there. You know, get two or three or four, and um, just have a free phone call with them and ask them a couple of questions. And if they if they won't do a free phone call, then just bin them, just dump them. Um, you know, they're not the ones you need to talk to. Um, and but when you do have them on the phone, uh, you need to ask them what other games clients they have. And they might not ask you specifically, but you know what you're trying to get out of that is, do they know the games business? Um, you know, and you can ask them, I guess, how many games clients or what sizes, because from that you can gauge like where you'll be in the pecking order. Um, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, it's, it's a business, right? You know, you're not going to have to pick up the phone and they would answer instantly, but, you know, that's just going to gauge whether you're going to get your answer back in days or weeks, um, you know, because time critical, you know, making, making games. Um, so once you've got that, uh, yeah, just go when you like. You know, you're going to be working with them for a long time. Um, they're good people and they will save you money, full stop. Um you know, even after you've paid the monthly fee, if you pay it like that, and then when you do your annual return, like they will save you thousands. Um, I love my accounts, uh, but they're not watching because they're in bed. Um, and then uh, engine. So, I mean, this wasn't a problem for me. Uh, I I knew I had some friends working at engine companies, um, and we started off using Unity, um, literally just because where our friends were and where the support was. Um, you know, I knew that I could go outside of the official channels to get the help that I needed, and that was super important to me. Um, and then uh, I guess you just need to ask yourself a series of questions, right? So um, you need to ask yourself, uh, do you have the skill uh, already to use whatever engine you pick versus uh, do you have to get good, right? Do you need to learn? Do you need to upskill uh, to be able to use it? That's, that's going to help you decide um and then you've got truth versus fiction right so does the engine actually do what it says it can do versus oh yeah it's on a roadmap somewhere in you know 2022 um if you've got a feature that you need that's on that roadmap in two years time like you cannot use that engine and hope that they do it like that that will just not work because those companies don't care about you they they care about bigger bigger fish um uh and then yeah simple budget stuff so buy now versus pay later um my friends won't like me saying this but if you are using unity and you're within the budget constraints then yeah please just use the free version um just wait till you get to beta before buying a license you can take the splash screen out other than that you know there's, there's features behind that that you really should be paying money for uh, during development. Um, yeah, sorry, Uni. Um, and then also, I guess the other thing is uh, is head start versus long term. So um, going back to the skills question is how fast can you get a prototype up and going? And then do you just want to use one engine just to make the prototype, knowing that you're going to throw it away later and then build it properly? Um, or is your game a bit more complicated, a bit bigger budget, and you know it's going to be a multi-year project, uh, and you're prepared to, you know, to build slowly, and you've only got the budget to do that, obviously. Um, 
it gets a point like multi-year project. Uh, I think if you're a small indie team now, if you're taking longer than a year to 18 months making a game, it's probably not a good idea. Um, yeah, the market's quite tough right now. So, you know, the longer take making games, the more money you need to make back. Um, I would just de-scope the game. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I, yeah, it's tough. Um, I, as a producer, this isn't very sexy for me to say, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the good enough. Um, you know, can you make a good enough product uh, that will sell enough to keep you going and you can add the sexy stuff in afterwards in updates? Um, yeah, and good good enough isn't good enough isn't a quality indicator. That, that's not where I'm going with it. What I'm going is in your in your target market and your target audience and your competitive titles what is the bare minimum you need to compete and that, that's what you should be aiming for and you should be doing that within within a year um yeah um one the other thing we've got here oh yeah so uh networking um this is one thing i was just uh retrospectively good at so um you know i'm, I'm, I'm a people person um and I always run my teams like that. You know, I know everybody's names. Um, and, I, you know, I, I just go a little bit beyond work, right? So, you know, you remember kids' birthdays, you know, you remember, you know, what football team they like, just stuff like that, because um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, happy people make happy teams and happy teams make better games. Um, so if you keep that relationship going, um, you know, you just make better product. So uh, I've always, every company that I've left, you know, I've taken a bunch of friends from there. So, you know, I've got a nice contact list now, people that, you know, I've met like 20 years ago that we still keep in touch. Uh, it's awesome. Um, and it makes life easier now, freelancing, right? So um, both ways. So uh, whereas their skill set might be code or art or design, mine's obviously production. Um, when they need help on that, I go, oh, yeah, cool, it's no problem. Uh, they even pay me for that, or we do a mutual exchange. I'm like, okay, cool, well, you know, I can't figure out how to uh, do this animation. Can you can you help me out? Um, yeah, network is important. Um, you should always, always have a, a, a few people that you take with you when you, when you leave. Um, and I guess, uh, just remember, the industry is small. Um, you know, I've, I've been in many sort of like coffee shops or parties where, you know, I've heard people bad-mouthing other people. Um, and obviously it's not my place to judge whether it's justifiable or not. But um, you remember that stuff. And then when you see other people in interviews, you're like, oh, hey, um, yeah, weren't you the kid that was bad-mouthing this person? And you ask them for the reference and stuff. And, it's, and like, it basically it all kind of like comes back to bite people. Um I mean, don't get me wrong, like, you know, I'll have a good beef as much as the next person, um, you know, if it's justified. But, it, you know, just be aware of who's listening. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and then also, uh, once you're in Indie Land, uh, it's important with the sort of publishers and platform holders. So um, I, well, there's some platforms we're not working with, but I still make time to talk to them at events just to learn what opportunities might happen. Um, and obviously, you know, they won't break NDAs. You won't get anything 
that they're not allowed to tell you, but um, it does make, if you get information early enough in your production cycle, you could be like, oh, okay, if we think about that, then uh, at least that door's open for us down, down the line. Because, um, uh, yeah, you know, technology moves fast, but sometimes, you know, the games industry cycles doesn't. Um, yeah. Um, and I guess the example of that is uh, with the Switch, right? So, I mean, you know, it's a great new platform, but um, development for it isn't great if you're coming from the other end. So if you're working on a higher end game, uh, getting working on Switch isn't isn't fun. But if you know that up front, um, even though you know you don't have any dev kits or you're not planning on, on, on running on it, you know if you sort of like target a high-end mobile, you can be like, okay, cool, well, we'll be, um, we're halfway there we're doing some Switch stuff. Um, good. And then the last thing I wanted to say is just a little bit of a uh, public service announcement for producers. So a lot of time people get in touch with me um, and they're like, oh, you know, uh, we've run out of money uh, and, I, you know, we're, we're six months over schedule and we've got another nine months left. I'm like, Okay, I'm sad. Sorry to hear that, but it's too late. I can't help you. Um, you know, everyone always calls me when the fire's burning, and you know, um, the projects are salvable. Um, and I'm going to do myself a disservice here. Like, I think if you're a small team, you know, if there's less than five of you, you do not need a full-time producer. Um, that would be a waste of money and resource. But um, you should get someone part-time. You know, maybe just get them in every two weeks beginning and the end of a sprint um or however you manage your team uh you know you, you should speak to them just to sanity check and be like look does this project plan make sense um could you tell us what a project plan is um does this budget for this type of game and this scope does that make sense to you um trust me you know half a day or a day with them will save you a lot of money um and, you know, they don't all have to be super expensive. Um, but, you know, the noise is valuable. And, but once you get over five, you know, higher, higher number six, higher number seven should have a production capacity. Um, even if you want to bundle that with some biz dev, because uh, if you're bootstrapping now and you want to get some money, uh, fundraising is a full-time job, you know. And if you're in one of the skilled positions like code or art, or designed like you know you don't want to be taking time away from that because then that's going to affect the the quality of the game um so yeah that was it that was my i had to do my solid for producers um yeah that was that was pretty much it i uh i blatted through that but i think i'm close to being on time so that's awesome um yeah i mean so if you want to reach out uh i'm on twitter kid desimo um one of the teams I'm working with, uh, Scatanic Studios, uh, we've got a game called Rooted, uh, the right chair sim, that's available for pre-registration on Google Play now. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of the talk, um, yeah, I'm a member of Pocket Play and I am hosting the first event outside of London. So if any of you watching from England, uh, particularly in the north of England, uh, come and join us in Manchester and uh, the link is in the, uh, on the slide there. Thank you very much. Oh man. All right, so we're piping back in. Hey, Des, thank you for the talk. I've actually uh, 
got a couple of questions we want to hit you with, but first, thank you very much for the insight and helping indie teams prepare themselves for when and how to get producers involved in what they do. And I appreciate you actually being very honest and forthcoming about, hey, like, hey, look, you don't need me yet. This is about when you would need me, and here's how to do it. Like, you know, not being completely self-serving in life is a, is a good quality, I'd say. So I appreciate that, man. Awesome. You want to jump in on question number one, Brendan? Uh, yeah. So before that, I want to do some commenting. Sure, sure. Um, just listen to your talk. It was very much uh, uh, reminiscent of what I've gone through personally. It's like as I was going through, it's kind of like dragging dragging my left foot. <laughs> it's just, just like I'm going to get us on to the next thing. And I, I totally empathize with yeah. what you're saying because obviously – uh, we, Larry and I have the fortunate of being in the states, and a lot of the uh, changes that we do with our moving and everything is between states. We don't really have to go out of our country, and it seems like it totally makes sense within Europe that you do have to move a lot uh, and completely change your surroundings since everything is so spread apart. Sometimes, um, what year exactly? At what point in your career where you felt like uh, not specific year, but like years in your career where you're like about six years in? I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is insane. It's like year two. I'm like, oh, right. over it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so I mean, so initially, like the first couple of years, like it was still like brand new. Like um, I'm trying to think of Lego. My son was yeah, my son was one. So, you know, like, you know, working on Lego games and, you know, every so often there'll be some free two play that we could take. Like, he loved that. Like, oh, thank God to him. Um, so that was all fine. And, um, and like I said, like going to TEA, like that was just, like I had to pinch myself at that point. How old was I? I was, I was still a kid. I was 22. And, um, you know, just working on the amazing games that we, we did back then, like it, it was just a dream. And then um, even, you know, after what happened, uh, you know, in year four, like, still, it wasn't, I wasn't done yet. I was like, you know, I still want to make it. It's, it's just fun. Um, but, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was after Crytek. So Crytek was 2012. So that would have been, that was 11? No, it was 13 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it took, it took, you it made it, bro. To, uh, Forget, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but after that, I was just like, oh man, this is, this is, I'm done. It, especially with movie country twice. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's not cool. Yeah. So I've got a question for you from, let's see, let me read it. Uh, Siberius X, uh, question to speaker. If someone would want to start out as a producer and perhaps freelance, what would you recommend uh, for that person? If someone has done a little bit of everything in indie game dev but decides to go production, what do you suggest that person do? So, yeah, I mean, freelance production is tough uh, for, you know, for the, the reasons um, I explained. And, but also, for, for, so this is what's weird. There, there's two things that don't match. Yeah. There's loads of indie teams that need the expertise, but they don't want to pay for it. And that's tough. Like, and and for the most part, I understand that. Like, you know, you know, you got to focus on the game. For me, this is going to sound quite biased, but but for me, like, I'm old, so I know a lot of people, which means I can sort of get work from lots of people. Mm-hmm. Starting out a freelance, I, which is super tough. Yeah. Um, 
because you need to find a team that respects the value that you would bring. Yeah. Um, but the problem is those teams are, are in the minority. Um, yeah. Oh man, I did there. Sorry, this is really bad. But it's I, okay. My advice is to get a job for a year or two and yeah. then start to go out because mm. you know you're going to have the credibility problem, right? Um, yeah. If I only made a couple of indie games, immediately after that you've got oh how many did they sell? Did they ship on time? And you know they're indie games, right? Unless they're like I don't know flambeer games which it wouldn't be um there's a small subset they could be right yeah. um well i don't know you so if you have a big title like that fine um but yeah it's just about the networking it's just been about being out there so you know i don't really use facebook that much but you know social media just make make sure sure that everyone you know knows that you're available and then they can extend that out of their network if they hear someone oh we need a producer Ah, oh, I know that this person is, is available. So. Okay, I like that advice too. <laughs> advice: get the job. Seriously, it's sometimes the way that you hear isn't the way that you want to hear. Like, but mm-hmm. it's the hard truth is the truth for a reason. You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's all about building uh, your resume first, and it is important to get that experience so you know what the hell you're doing. Uh, as soon as you start adding people to the equation, it can get pretty messy, and if you don't have the experience to deal with people and, and, and along with projects, uh, you can really show your hand real quick, and it does a disservice to you and your employer or anyone that you're working with uh that you're you're just uh, shorthanded right yeah. so uh if you're starting out i i definitely agree it's like get some experience network it, it makes it easier to find jobs afterwards it makes it easier to know if this is something you want to keep on doing uh it, it makes it easier to to even know like what type of games you like to work with and people you like to work with yeah. so you can be very choosy it's very hard to do that if you're doing freelance and even remotely right yeah. because uh you're losing that whole huge interaction trying to kind of like uh read through the context of a text or the context of anything else <laughs> it's like oh man the time he skyped at me is a little different than the last time he skyped at me it's like how can you read through that unless you're that good at yeah. people reading right and so uh if you have the various different people that you deal with at the workplace that carries over to finally working remotely on a webcam and you're like all right obviously you're running to this issue and you're playing doctor at that point right you're kind of like this is the same thing that i did last time therefore this is the fix go do it that's all you need to talk to me for this hour i'll see you on on, on discord the rest of the day yeah. that's a very good point um so I, I i always i mean my fellow producers will, will hate me for this but i always say that you know i could probably teach someone all the mechanical stuff for production in you know four or five months the value add is the experience right just as you said it's like i've done this before i have been here before and it wasn't good let's do this instead um that's that's i mean that's why you should pay us but um yeah massive massive impact so I've got a, actually a question just personally from me. So if you're looking at, again, because that question seemed to be about getting your career started mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, just go ahead and get the job. I just wanted to say, like, I often feel like the resume, right? The value of the resume is like 
people who work with you gave you a chance and vouch for you. And like, here's a list of people who've worked with me, giving me a chance and vouch, but also we have successful product, mm -hmm. you know? Um, how early is it in your career that you say, like you have, how many references would you say you're on autopilot now? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like in my career at this point, I'm less excited about updating my resume. I'm less excited mm -hmm. about, because I, I know that I have the skills to do my job and I know that I've done it and you can research and look and see that I've done it. Yeah. Someone on the way in, they don't have, you know, six, seven, eight, nine experiences. Yeah. Yeah. They might even still have GameStop on their resume. It's you GameStop. know what I mean? They might even still have Best Buy on their resume because we see that a lot on the Not way even in. Maybe industry related. It might yeah, be completely so off. If there, if there is a like, what would you say is the, a great number to shoot for before you're like, look, here's how you prove yourself. Get like one solid job for X amount of years or is it get two jobs for X amount of years? Where would you say is the like, all right, your seal's been broken. It'll probably be a lot easier for you now to find roles where people aren't so worried about you not having experience. Yeah, it's just a, that's a great question. Um, so I, I'm not a massive fan of staying in places for a long time. Um, I think three years is a good stint. Um, and you could put that up to five if you love working at the place. But um, depending on how big the company is, there's just not enough room for you. Um, you know, because in five years, I think about it, like if you start at the bottom there, like you're not going to get promoted every year. You might get lucky, you might get a field promotion, you know, someone leaves and it's like, oh, you, you're in. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, you go through the chain, right? I, I think. I think five years is a good one if you've been at two places. Um, and the, the, the discipline matters as well, right? So, um, say you start as a general artist, but um, you really like characters. You know, when you start going into your specialization, it's that that needs to have that three to five year mark. So, yeah, so if you've been at one place five years and then in year three you decide to be a character artist, that's only three years you've got there. And if you want to move into character art again, they'll be like, oh, okay, I thought you bad. But if at that point you want to change and move into environments or vehicle art, like, yeah, you've got that like 60, 70% skill of artists, but that 30%, like, we need that. Like, we, you know, we're not going to take a punt and say, oh, okay, yeah, sure, you know, you can draw so you'll be able to do environments and stuff. Um, yeah, if you've got five years, two jobs, you know, you should be a bit more flexible with that. But then, you know, the, the, I mean, the promised land, yeah, you know, you're looking at looking at eight to ten, um, where it's like the zero questions, uh, like, yeah, okay, cool, you know what you're doing. Um, because with that time, you can see what you'd get two and a bit console cycles out of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you, you know you, you've gone through the pain of doing that and having to, you know, have that forced upskill. Right, everyone needs to learn how to use a new platform. Um, you know, whether they like it or not, like you know, you always got to be learning. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. Sorry, to answer your question. That's a really long, really long, winded answer. But yeah, you need to be up to eight, eight to ten to be like zero questions. Gotcha. You see that as being like you don't even go there. But like, okay, you can do this. All right, amen. Well, look, we've had a great time talking with you, man. And actually, I wanted to give one last shout out to you and your, your company, Alter Gene. Uh, appreciate you guys helping out multiple teams make their game dreams come true, always being available. So anybody out there looking for anything that Des can do for you as a producer, very experienced, 
you know where to hit him up. We had his credentials up there, but you see his Twitter is still there. He's always looking to connect, and he connected with us super easy, very charming individual, so obviously you'll have a great working relationship. I can vouch for that already. And I've seen his resume. He reached that 8 to 10 where there's just no questions. He's, he's got it down. <laughs> so, man, Des, amazing talk, and everyone on Twitter is actually happy to have you as well, or excuse me, uh, Twitch. Mm-hmm. So we look forward to seeing you in the future, man. Uh, and again, you know, just glad you could be a part of the first G-Ducks Expo and bringing the producer vibe because that's something that we lack actually both in our podcast and just in general as we discuss is like we do have a lot like artists and designers myself and even engineers and sometimes I have to admit like we'll bake jokes like uh, producer jokes <laughs> uh, but I'm sure you're used to that man come on so let's be real <laughs> no 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 so you oh, know man, glad to have you here everyone. to be one of the big guns man um <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope the rest of the day goes well. So yeah, good. All right, cheers, man. Thank you.